Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Surely there comes a day where Christian Petrarca wins a Brownlow medal. He's pretty much won every other individual medal that he could win, but he hasn't got that yet. Is 2024 the year we see CP5 become a Brownlow medalist? We're going to unpack that and his fantasy impacts for our sides in 2024 and beyond. Hello, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well, and I trust you're enjoying my 50 most relevant. We're getting deeper into the 30s. We already talked about a Melbourne Demon yesterday. We've got another one on today. Can't talk about the Ds without getting the coaches panel, a Melbourne supporter on this episode. Kane, good to see you. I'm talking about a really impressive footballer today. Oh, MJ, he's just one of the most complete players in the AFL, isn't he? He's been one that had the pedigree coming in, had some injuries that he had to overcome, had to find his feet at AFL level. But, you know, for the best part of the last five years, he's been an absolute star and he's been a super coach. He's been a fantasy performer throughout. The ceiling's been there. He's shown glimpses of being almost the number one scorer in both formats. Hasn't quite put it together, but he's been a consistent M1 at the very least. So as you flagged off the top, is this the career year coming in 2024 for Christian Petrarca? We've wondered that for a number of times over a number of years where he's been close and moments. But is it the year? Let's talk about that in a moment. Let's jump back into his 2023 season before we start to forecast forward for us. He's priced at $667,700 for us in Supercoach. One of the most expensive players in that format because he's coming in at an average of 119.4. How many tons last year for Christian Petrarca? I hear you wonder. 20. 20 tons, absolute animal, a top score of 167, a career high of 189, while in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, an average of 106, priced at just over 950000 in AF, $978,700 in Dream Team, 17 tons for us last year. Top score of 142, a career high score of 153. I think when I look at Christian Petrarca as a player, Kane, and you're the Melbourne supporter, so you've got the benefit of both a fantasy owner and a football supporter of of seeing this. For 95% of the time, Christian Petrarca just fills you with this great level of confidence that he's going to win the ball, that he's going to impact the game, that he's going to turn something in his team's favour. Because if there's something contested and 50-50 to win, whether he's in the midfield or the forward line, you you feel pretty confident this, this human wrecking ball is going to come through and get there. You know that if he gets even a half step of space on his opponent, He's going to surge past, shrug off opponents and try to create a score involvement, let alone impact the score himself. And he's just for 95%, we'll get to the other 5% in a moment, but for 95% of the time, there's probably not anyone else you'd rather enjoy as a fan, let alone as a fantasy footy coach. Oh, MJ, spot on. He's just so well-rounded and his numbers speak to that. 14 kicks, 14 handballs for the 28 touches a game. Four marks, four tackles, a goal a game, and a behind a game. So there's actually a little bit of scope there if you can remedy that, which we'll touch on a bit later in the podcast. But when you're that consistent across all domains, really hard to shut down. And I think that speaks to the consistency. 
we probably didn't see the frequency of stealing you come to expect when you've got a guy in DT just at the 106. You'd feel like there's going to be multiple 120, 130, even 140 scores. Not really with Petrarca. There's just so many that pepper that average of 106. He really doesn't let you down outside of one or two games a season. Yeah, it's really rare that you come away from a Christian Petrarca game as an owner going, oh, really underperformed for me that game. And that's testament to what he did for us last year. The fact is in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, that seasonal average of 106 consisted of 17 tonnes, just the one score under 80 all year. So it's really hard. You're spending top-end dollars for him to go, oh, no, 17 of my 23 matches, a triple-digit score. Yeah, sure, there's not the ceiling that I think we would all like in that format, which Kane's alluded to, but the level of consistency and durability almost takes that equation out for us. And you see that because his seasonal average is 106. Pre-buy, he goes 106. What do you think he does post-buy? 10 games, 106, super consistent for us last year. While in Supercoach, this is the format where the way he plays and the things he does for Melbourne does get him a little bit more scoring reward. 20 tons last year, 11 of them, 120 plus. That's where that ceiling and that average of 119 gets and nothing under 90 last year. So again, no one loves a 90 when they're paying top end premium dollars here. But when you're walking away, like ask people that have had a Nick Dacos as the captaincy and he gets tagged and completely shut down or a Rory Laird in round one gets completely shut down for a bunch of unknown variables. Petrarca for the better part of two years now has not really given us, especially in Supercoach, anything that we go, that's going to hurt me this week. So his durability, his consistency, even though there's some more ceiling in Supercoach, geez, he's just good. He's just good. Yeah, and that's the thing. Usually he's been that player because he doesn't have the massive ceiling. You can generally time it up throughout the season where you get a look in off that one or two low score and he gets to that really nice sweet price point in the middle of the season. And that's how people have sort of used him in the past, isn't it? If he starts anywhere sluggish, you know he's going to be so consistent. He's going to build into the season and rectify that. So he's been an upgrade target just the way he's played. He's, he's had a few starts where he's come out of the gates red hot but then it does sort of start evening out he's not usually a guy that for a six seven eight week stretch goes 130 plus he's really more of a a hover around his seasonal average of in case a super coach just shy of 120 and in detail around that 105 107 type of range for the most part whereas some other guys maybe like a zach Merritt, often you can capitalize on those tagged games and then very quickly he drops those monster ceilings that rectifies it. Petrarca, you can get him a little bit cheaper, but he's usually not one that swings wildly with price like maybe some other guys that are a bit more susceptible to the tag can. Certainly as last year, top 15 by averages in AFL Fantasy, but a top 10 scorer overall, ranked ninth for total points in AFL Fantasy. Supercoach, third overall for points, only Bontempelli and English scored more in a few minutes. I want to get some comparisons for you from your perspective about the two. They're different-ish players, but there are some parallels I want to get some of your reflections on in a moment while he was fourth for averages last year. Bont, English, and then his teammate who we spoke about yesterday on the 50 most 
infant Clayton Oliver, the three players that average more than him. He's been doing it since politely 2020, but even in 2022 last year, an average of 102.5 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. What, 13 tons, five over 120. Super coach, an average of 112, a top eight midfielder, multiple 120 plus scores. I think it was like seven 130 plus scores in that season as well. So for year upon year upon year, we know what we're getting from Christian Petrarca. Floor, really high across the formats. Ceiling, pretty darn good in AF and in super coach. Frequency of ceiling, probably not as often as we want in AF but as good as anybody in super coach when you put those elements together. There's a bit that's changed in this Melbourne team that I, I want to get your take on, and then we do want to come to the Bontempelli, uh, potential parallels that we could draw between the two. Melbourne's changed a lot. No, I'm not alluding to the unknowns about Clayton Oliver. We're, we're kind of going to leave that one alone. But if you are curious, just for the sake of it, the average 101 with Oliver and 112 without Oliver, one fifth, and that's in AF and DT, 115 with Oliver, so 13 games, 124 without. So again, just leaving that there, we're not going to touch on what that means for Clayton. Too many unknowns. We're going to respect that privacy. I'm more alluding to the fact of the forward dynamic. There was hopes in the community he'd pick up forward status. That didn't happen. But a lot has changed in this Melbourne forward line. Jack Billings is in. Um, McAdam has come over from the Adelaide Crows. Petty probably wants to play back, but the club have shown at times they want to use him forward. Do they do that? What's your take on this Melbourne forward line that at times has been dysfunctional, had a lot of interruptions last year, and then forecasting for what it means for us with Petrarca and the potential role in scoring in 2024? Well, I think, MJ, as you mentioned, you have to be buoyed by the changes they've made in the off-season in terms of Petrarca maybe pushing that 61% CBAs up into the high 70s, if not even 80s. Because you look at the outs, notably Jordan and Harms, both guys that can play various roles, but both have spent time as centre-bounce players on the wing, half-forward. Harms even had some half-back at different times. And then looking at the ins, notably McAdam and Billings, that I think affords forwards that are going to be predominantly forward 50, especially for McAdam, doesn't need to really leave the sort of forward 40, keep him close to goal. That's where he's at his best. Billings can obviously push up a little bit higher on the ground if needed, but he's a forward as well in my eyes. That's where I've got him pegged. So those are two big ins. What jumps out to me is the guys that missed time last year, MJ, and you mentioned it's already a troublesome area of the ground for Melbourne. They're so heavily invested in the midfield and in the back line. May, Lever, Salem, and then the midfield, as we know, Gorn, Oliver, Petrarca, Viney. Those are just ridiculous pieces. Brayshaw can play across both lines as well. So you factor in the investment there. The forward line was always going to be the weakest of those three lines. And at different times, it looked incredible. But for the most part, it was difficult, wasn't it? When Ben Brown and Tom McDonald play seven and eight games respectively, it's tough. There's some form. There's some fitness there. You look at a Harry Petty like you flag. He was a revelation when Ford restricted to only the 14 games. Oliver, you flag, 15 games. That throws another dynamic because Oliver was starting to be a really good guy that could go forward, have the time on ground, and provide an option. You know, a big frame can take a mark. And then the real spearhead, Bailey Fridge. To lose him, to keep him to 17 out of 25 games, when he's been so, so consistent, 
it's just a lot of chaos and it became a patching the holes. They had this hero step in in Jake Melcham. He showed that he could be someone that could step up. He played 13 to 25 games. Now, earlier in the season, he wasn't needed. As soldiers started to fall, he became really key. Again, end of the season on the sidelines, unfortunately. So there was a lot of chaos and dysfunction in a line that was already troublesome for Melbourne. You know, kicking straight, converting frequently, cashing in on the work of the midfielders. And that's just not the forwards' fault. Obviously, that is the delivery as well. So it was always going to be troublesome. Petrarca, he was required to go forward and help out and be a target. And it worked in varying different degrees. So I think those inclusions, just a little bit of luck on the health side, that's going to go a long way. Van Royen, that was a huge find. You know, you've invested a high draft pick in him. First season showed plenty. They drafted Matt Jefferson uh, last year as well, two years ago as well, building really nicely in the VFL as another tall forward option. So there's some stocks coming through. There's some stocks at the back end of their career, you know, Brown and McDonald that can play both ends. So it feels like they've done as much as they can to address this. Colton Volstrup as well in the draft as mm. another sort of medium forward. So there's been a stack of investment. And that's what's really encouraging for me, MJ, to say to Petrarca, let alone if Oliver's there or not, you're a centre bounce midfielder now. And that's probably where I do get to the Bontempelli point I want to make. Sometimes, and we love numbers and we love looking at all the numbers, but sometimes there's a gut feel of going and looking at the player and saying, I just don't believe that a Marcus Bontempelli going into last year, and we talked about it, he's a better player than a career high 107 DT and 119 super coach representing. Yeah. That doesn't guarantee everything, but I think we just thought the impact this guy has on games is not reflected in these fantasy career highs. And it took a Dunkley departure and a Bontempelli to move into the midfield, and we saw the career seasons, didn't we? Just shy of 117 in DT, 129.6 in Supercoach. Like that to me is when you think of Bontempelli's value, it is reflected in those numbers now. And I'm just curious, MJ, looking at Petrarca, if it lines up that he is the 80% CBA guy with what we know he can do, I just have this feeling that a 111 in DT and a 119 in Supercoach is not going to be the career highs for Christian Petrarca when he's all said and done. Yes, it might not happen in 2024, but of all the seasons, if I'm betting if it's going to happen, I'm saying it's most likely to happen in 2024 with the circumstances and the melting pot they're going into. And in particular, Supercoach MJ is the one where I feel like he could push to that 125 plus. And I'll give you just one stat alone that sings to help his Supercoach. Last year, Christian Petrarca had 87 shots at goal. Wow. He kicked 28-34. So that's 62 goals and behinds combined. Yep. There's 25 other shots that didn't register a goal or a behind. Those are out in the fulls. Those are marked on the line. Those are rushed through. We know when you're tracking Supercoach live, as a lot of us do when we're following our players, it swings wildly with those shots. If that's even a behind... You're getting the behind. You're getting the score involvement. You're getting not absolutely smashed with a clanger like you do. So I look at that alone and I go far out. That is so far and away an area of just, even if there's slight improvement, I'm not asking those 25 shots to be goals. Now, if they're Mm. 25 goals from that, it's well over 130. I'm just asking if they're 
five more goals, a few more behinds, and just avoiding the clangor because that's what Christian Petrarca can do, and that's what limits the scoring sometimes. Is he takes the ball from a contest, slams it on the boot in a rush, or tries to break three tackles, has someone hanging off him. It's rushed. It's out in the full. If you've watched him enough, it's it's reflected in those shots at goal numbers, <laughs> leaving a lot on the table. And I'll just pluck out someone else who's also a midfielder. It's a bit different with forwards. A lot of their shots are set shots. Petrarca's are a lot in the field of play. But you look at someone like an Errol Goulden. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 42 goals and behinds combined from 50 shots. So wow. there's only eight there that didn't register. Petrarca's got 25. And to me, that's just scope. So I factor in the potential to just be a, be a mid. Yes, you can rest forward, but be a mid. Be that guy that's in there. Every time you're on the ground, you're at a CBA. If you're not at a CBA, you're not on the bench. Yes, you could rest forward, but you're the guy that's in there the most. And just even a slight tweak in some efficiencies, MJ. There's so much scope in this Supercoach scoring in particular. Mm. I think the DT... He could be a 115 guy, but the one that really interests me is I can see him being in that 125, 130 range. A super coach, yeah. If things break right, because as you flagged, there's so much consistency, but there hasn't been these monster scores. There hasn't been that, that stretch of, you know, 150 for a month. And really, that's what you have to do. If you're going to be in that range, you it's need hard a to be 130 stretch. every week. You need to show that you can be 160, 170, and 180 a couple of times throughout the season, just to take the pressure off when invariably you do have, you know, a high 90 or a low 100. We know a couple of things about Supercoach and about Melbourne. Number one, when the forward line is functioning more and not turning the ball over, it helps with score involvements and helps with scoring. So if this Melbourne forward line is going to get a little bit sharper and cleaner, let alone, as Kane's highlighted, just what he does himself in front of goal, that's going to be an upside benefit for some of the score weighting that comes his way. We know Melbourne love to run a really tight midfield. Last year, it was Oliver and Viney, both over 70% CBA attendances. Petrarca's was 61, and he only had seven games all year where he attended 70% or more CBAs. And some of those were with, and some of those were without Clayton. So if this narrative that Kane is putting out there as a hypothesis, which is an improved soldiers in the forward line, a greater opportunity for Clayton to now become the main midfield man with Oliver, with Viney, and to rest forward, not having to be a guy carrying some weight for a forward line, either because of some form, some injuries, and just a lack of overall opportunities. Now, these are the pathways to where he becomes the next big guy. He adds that five to 10 points per game on his current price point, And he becomes now a potential top scorer in super coach and right in the conversation for us for AF and DT. He and his team play an opening round, which means 
They're going to miss a round early on in the season. Round six is when they are off, which means, yep, he'll help you through a bunch of those early best 18s, but he probably won't help you so much in round six when his team is off. We've spent a little bit of time and go back to the Tim Taranto episode number 43 in the 50 most relevant. If you want to unpack a little bit more of some of the processes of how you could target a premium that has got an early buyer, the Lockie Whitfield episode we did with Mitch from Ball Boys Fantasy unpacks this a little bit. Um, but for me, I look at Christian at the top end, purely an AFL fantasy for a moment. With that lack of 120 plus ceiling and how much salary cap I'm investing, Unless you're uber bullish that he's going to turn those 105s, 110s into some 115s and 125s, to me, I'd much rather trade into his level of consistency. The price point and the magic numbers means they're at their highest point at the start of the year, and they've got to outperform their averages um, from that period of time to really make it worthwhile for you. So for me, I look at that and go, I'm happy to fade to start him in suit in AFL fantasy. In Supercoach, I'm a little bit more open to it. What I will say about this, and, and, and then we'll get to drafts in a moment, is I want Melbourne midfielders from round seven after the bye. This is their fixture. Tigers, Cats, Blues, Eagles, Saints, Dockers, and then maybe a little bit more challenging, the Pies, and then they head into their round 14 by. If you do some of the data analysis, and it's only using 2023 data, we know the games change, year-on-year game styles change, elements change around things, but I look at that and I go, yeah, I want me a bit of Petrarca, probably a bit of Oliver too, if I'm being honest, at that point in time. What's your take on him as a starting squad option as opposed to someone you're happy to go and get as an upgrade during the season? It is tough, MJ, with that double buy. Those those guys that play around zero, it's just putting that little bit of extra strain on your team to have to cover them with a rookie. Now, sometimes you're going to get lucky with the rookie. Again, if if Petrarch is going as well as I think he can go, well, it might be worth. But like you said, with the magic number being so high, you really even if he came out with that one thirty start, we're probably only talking about paying fifty k extra in super coach. Now that is a lot, especially at his price point. You know that would have him over 700k which a lot of people just aren't going to pay they're going to hope he comes back to earth so that's a bit of the risk that you could just lock him away early cop him for one week having to manage with you know rookies on field maybe you get some luck maybe you don't Uh, but i think for a lot of people it's going to be really challenging isn't it to say gee i could have another premium in another line or just another midfield premium that does play when petrarca's on his buy and then I can maybe work out the rest after that about how I get him in. But that said, again, if he just if he just fires MJ and there's value there and he's a permanent captaincy option, which he would be if he's firing, mm. it can be awfully tempting. It's it's obviously going to depend as well what is round zero. How big is that score that he puts on the table round zero? Because after that round six by, there's still a hell of a lot of season to go. So it's not like, you know, if he's gone 130 in Supercoach for those first six games before his bye, you go, okay, yeah, it's good. The hurt factor is probably going to be if there's a 180 in there, isn't there, MJ? And it's really yeah. a massive advantage for those players. But then again, there's going to be people that say, well, that's in his rolling average. His price is going to just be absolutely top dollar. So it's probably a bit of a tricky one. I see the value there if he does what I think he can do. But it's definitely not screaming value. And there is obviously a lot of risk, not only with the price, but also just knowing that 
he will be out of action in early in the season with that early buy. He's shown us over two years in Supercoach, he's a top eight midfielder. Even when he's got that split hybrid role, sometimes at points last year, it was really heavy forward. And other times it's a really predominant mid. He's still shown us in Supercoach. He's that pushing the push of a 120 guy. And he's shown he has probably one of the best, if not the best, floors and basement of super coach premium midfielders. And he's got a really nice ceiling. In AFL fantasy, really nice basement, really nice elements over the past two years of conversion of tons. But he does need to clip that ceiling a little bit. And Kane's given us a pathway that, yes, it's hypothetical, but it might get him there for us. Outside of that opening round against the Swans, these are the five teams they play before they get the buy. I highlighted that really juicy post-buy matchup. This is what it is beforehand. Bulldogs, Hawks, Port, Adelaide, and Brisbane. Historically, Crows are a bit tricky. Hawks, who knows where Finn McGuinness goes, although last year it was to Clayton Oliver, so hold that in mind. And then Port have shown at times they they can be quite tricky to score against for if you're trying to get some uncontested ball movement and some marks, they have shown they can be restrictive. But again, that's 2023 data. What happened last year is no certainty moving forward. Do you want Christian Petrarca in your side at some point in the year? If he's going to do what he's done over the past two years, I'd suggest he's highly in consideration for your side. And at very least, Look at what it might look like in your starting squad. And if not, target the time to trade into him. I don't think the forward DPP is coming this year. I don't see the pathway, given what Melbourne have recruited in, how and or why they would choose to let him spend so much amount of time. So if he's pure mid, this could get big. He absolutely is relevant. Any last thoughts on him, Kane, before we head quickly over to a draft perspective? No, I think that's where the draft's really, really fascinating for this guy because obviously there's a big number there. It's always hard to back it up in those top tiers, but there are a few guys that, that we've seen do it repeatedly. I think obviously AF and DT, he's slightly down the pecking order just with the style that he plays when he's on, as you, as you mentioned. That super coach is usually minimum... 10 points difference could be up to 15 and even 20 if it really, really clicked um, with that scoring accuracy. Like I was mentioning in Melbourne, you know, cashing on the scoreboard with that new look attack. So I think DT, he's hovering in that M1, M2 range. Yep. I think that's where you've got to draft him. It's it's a pretty big chunk because I think we've discussed throughout the 50 of guys that are sort of fighting with each other for that M1, M2. That puts him probably third, fourth round, depending where you're going with it. Some people will have him sort of in that, you know, M M2, which is maybe the 15th mid, which is, which is, again, it's really, really good. It's about where his average is, so that's fine. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of preference. We know the rock line, the back line, the forward line, there's some pieces there that maybe might start encroaching on that third round. But I feel like in that mix, you're happy. You don't need to be going in the first round, unless you absolutely love him in, in AF. Whereas Supercoach, he probably is a back-end, first-round, early second-round type of guy, just as you flag so often. The rucks are going to be so important, and they could just be such a huge advantage having one that I can see probably four of them going in the first 10 almost. 
yeah. people are really, really bullish on that scarcity. So Petrarca, he is a guy that if he falls your way, you're happy with him. And there's going to be some other guys that are really comparable. I don't think you're going to have to be stressed and forced either way. He'll either be there for you and you're happy. I don't think you're going to have much luck letting him slide. If you're really keen, you, you can go late first in a super coach, early second in a DT. But really, MJ, it's so even and consistent for the most part that personal preference between him and some of those absolute superstars will be key. Again, I'm clearly more bullish in Supercoach because I can see that pathway to being the M1 or if not in that top one, two or three. DT, it's just a little tricky, but there's definitely scope there. Um, so for me, I'm not letting him outside the first three rounds um, just because I love the consistency, not just of the scoring, but year on year, he plays the games, he has the role and you can't say that for a few other guys. So for me, it's top three rounds in DT, top yeah. two rounds for sure in Supercoach. Yeah, I, I don't see how he's gone any later than the 15th pick overall in Supercoach. Like, he, he's got a top four average in that format. The ruck scarcity, the what does Dacos do, the what do I do with the forwards? Okay, sure, he might glide a little bit, but I think that's bang on. And then AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, which hold the same scoring formats. Geez, if you've got a really early first-round pick, Looking at him to come back as your M1, if it means you secure a Dacos or an English or a Marshall or something like that, if you've got one of those first couple of picks and going, geez, Petrarca might be there at M3 or M1 on my second picker. I might be able to get him on the turn, depending on where you sit. He's a really great guy to own, really strong scorer, and has done that for us with almost increasing frequency since he broke out in 2020. Kane, as always, a pleasure, mate. Love talking fantasy footy with you. Thank you, mate. Enjoyed it as always. If you want to go and read the article on Christian or any of the other players revealed so far in the 50 most relevant, I've got them for you online at coachespanel.tv. Wherever you're listening to this audio podcast, make sure you've subscribed and followed us on that podcast provider. Left a five-star rating and a review if it gives you that option. It helps support the Coaches Panel in a really quick, simple, easy way. You can go and do that while you're there. And over at YouTube is also where you can go and watch these audio Become video episodes. You get to see what we look like. Okay, that's not the hook that really is going to make you want to look at it. If you don't like listening, you like looking at something, we can help you with that. So either way, subscribe, get the notifications on, and comment below if you are watching this on YouTube with what you think about Christian Petrarca and his fantasy football relevance. He's number 36 on my list. Would you have him higher or lower? Comment below and let me know. In 30 seconds, i got a clue for you about who's in next in the 50 most relevant. But in the description of this episode, the links are where you can get in touch with us across social media, where you can find the podcast and the video, but also where you can become a part of our Patreon supporter group. These are the hardcore coaches panel fans that just love what they're getting from us in the preseason and what you get from us season proper. You also, for becoming a Patreon member, get a bunch of exclusive tier rewards group access, extra articles, um, exclusive access to different members of the panel and a ton of other rewards, if I'm honest, including for our premium breakout tiers. You're getting these podcasts a day ahead. So you're finding out information before the rest of the fantasy footy community. So if you love what you're getting and you want some extra bonus content from us, become a Patreon with the links in the description of this episode. So who's next in the 50 most relevant? Just in the past handful of years, this guy has been the number one scoring player in each of the formats. 
But people have discounted him this year. They've gone, now, how many years back is the question? But they've just looked at him and gone, nah, nah. His year was good last year, but it wasn't as good as previous years when he was the number one scorer. Maybe he's just not got the ceiling. Maybe he's just not got the consistency. Or maybe there's a pathway to him returning back to the top of the tree. I reckon you probably owned him at some point last year. And for at least a stretch, gosh, you loved it. Who's this former number one player in every single format that's getting no love in the preseason? Putting him on the agenda tomorrow in the 50 most relevant.